trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Yes, I will be shoveling truth and light fast and furious because it's what I do. You know, and it's also fun to revel in wrong think. Truth be told, it started out as just kind of a pleasant pastime, almost a hobby, so to speak. Now it's become a necessity. You got to be willing to question that narrative. You got to be willing to push back against it and where possible, stand up for yourself I'm glad you're here today. Thanks for joining us. Our program is brought to you by MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, and the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah. I thought we could start out on kind of a positive note here, seeing as there's, uh, you know, plenty of bad news to go around, and that uh, always seems, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. Well, you know, the best remedy for feeling overwhelmed, which I know a lot of people are feeling, myself included at times, is to simply start counting your blessings. Now, I know, that sounds trite. Well, gee, I'll just, the house is burning down. Let me count the blessings. I'm warm. Yeah, that'll, that'll work. I'm talking about something that requires stepping back for a moment and just reflecting on all the marvelous things that we take for granted every day. This isn't, you know, put on your Pollyanna face and, you know, make the best of it. This is just a, a, a recognition that in spite of all the stuff that's gone crazy, there's a lot of stuff that really is remarkable. And you could probably say, hey, that's a blessing of sorts. Got a great article here. This is actually from January 2nd of 2020. You know, before the craziness. And it's from a writer by the name of Alex ha- Alexander Hammond. I have the privilege of working with him on a, another program called Moving Forward with Young Voices. He's one of their contributors from the UK. Alexander Hammond has compiled a list of the 20 biggest advances in tech over the last 20 years. And it's just a fun reminder that despite what you're reading in the newspapers or seeing on TV, humans continue to reach new heights of prosperity. Now, again, keep in mind, This was written before the craziness, before COVID, before the lockdowns. But I'm just asking you, let's let's see the positive where there is some positive. So in no particular order, here are 20 of the most significant technological advancements that we've made in the last 20 years. You can probably guess the first one, right? Smartphones. Now, mobile phones existed before the 21st century. But in the past 20 years... I mean, if you really stop and think about what that phone in your pocket does, the capabilities have improved enormously. It was back in June of 2007 that Apple released the iPhone, the first touchscreen smartphone with mass market appeal. Lots of other companies took inspiration from the iPhone. As a consequence, smartphones have become an integral part of day-to-day life for billions of people around the world. In fact, today we take pictures We navigate without maps. That's the big one for me. I can't remember what it was like to actually have to navigate without, you know, something telling me. Now, turn right here. We order food. We play games. We message friends. Listen to music. 
all on our smartphones. And as an added bonus, you can actually call people if you need to talk to them. Secondly, flash drives. Now, this is one that I've noticed just because uh, I use a pretty fair amount of computer space in my day-to-day work. First sold by IBM in 2000, the USB flash drive allows you to easily store files or photos or videos with a storage capacity so large that it would have been unfathomable just a few decades ago. Today, a 128-gigabyte flash drive available for less than $20 on Amazon, has more than 80,000 times the storage capacity of one of those 1.44 megabyte floppy disks, which was the most popular type of storage disk in the 1990s. And keep in mind, this was written almost two years ago. I've seen terabyte flash drives for, I don't remember what it was, 50, 60 bucks. Unheard of. Incredible. Technological marvel number three, that would be Skype. Launched in August of 2003, Skype transformed the way that people communicate uh, communicate across borders. Before Skype, calling friends or family abroad cost huge amounts of money. Do you remember what long distance rates were, right? (laughs) Well, today, speaking to people on the other side of the world or even video calling with them is practically free. And I have to admit, I have kind of a special place in my own heart for Skype um, this last year. I was able to contact my biological parents. I was adopted at four days old and um, made the successful attempt to connect with my bio parents. And every Sunday night, my biological dad, Dal, that's his name, he and I get together and, and visit. And I mean, we could talk on the phone and it would be fun, but it's absolutely fascinating, at least for me, to, to see this guy who I, I very clearly resemble and to, to get a chance to, to have kind of a face-to-face conversation with him. I still haven't met him in person. I'm hoping that's going to happen this fall. But in the meantime, Skype, that's a, that's a pretty good substitute. Number four is Google. We take this one for granted so much. Those who still use it, I've personally graduated to DuckDuckGo, but hey, you know, to each his own. Google's search engine actually premiered in the late 1990s. But the company went public in 2004, leading to its colossal growth and, I presume, its takeover of the free world. Google revolutionized the way that people look for information online. Every hour, there are more than 228 million Google searches. Every hour. Today, Google is part of Alphabet Inc., a company that offers dozens of services like translations, Gmail, Docs, Chrome web browser, and much more. Which brings us to Google Maps. Do you remember this? Back in, tw- in February of 2005, Google launched its uh, mapping service, which changed the way that many people travel. With the app available on virtually all smartphones, Google Maps has made getting lost virtually impossible. Although there were a few hiccups, as I recall, in those early years. and <laughs> Sometimes people would be like, hey, what's a Swift truck doing way out here in the middle of nowhere? Just following my Google Maps. and Or maybe it's the fact I'm... A Swift driver. Sorry, that's that's not very fair to those who drive for Swift. It's just easy to forget that a couple decades ago, most travel involved sitting down, plotting your route, paper maps. Did you have a, a, a um, an atlas, you know, that you would map it out? Okay, so this is how we go here. And, you know, it was almost... Uh, it was almost always a necessity when you were venturing someplace unfamiliar. 
And of course, once you got into a big city, well, you know, then you had to go with the, all right, this is H10 is where the addresses that we're looking for. And you try to figure out, you know, where that was. Number six, Human Genome Project. In April 2003, scientists successfully sequenced the entire human genome. And though this, through the sequencing of roughly 23,000 genes, that project shed light on a lot of different scientific fields, including disease treatment, human migration, evolution, molecular medicine. Truth be told, the reason I was able to meet my biological parents started with a DNA test. That connected me to my nearest DNA relative, who happened to be my biological dad. That set into motion a whole slew of events that uh, still are playing out. But man, what an incredible ride that's been. Number seven among the 20 biggest advances in tech over the last 20 years. That would be YouTube. In May of 2005, the first video was uploaded to what today is the world's most popular video sharing website. Now, Harvard University lectures on quantum mechanics and favorite TV episodes to how-to tutorials and funny cat videos. Billions of pieces of content can be streamed on YouTube for free. Although I have to note with just a little bit of sadness, <clears throat> YouTube has been one of the big ones to, uh, to censor points of view that fall outside of whatever that 3 by 5 index card of, of acceptable opinion is. That's a bit of a shame. Number eight, graphene. Now, we hear about this talked about, I believe, with the, uh, the vaccine for, for COVID. But in 2004, researchers at University of Manchester became the first scientists to isolate graphene. That is an atom-thin carbon allotrope that can be isolated from graphite. That's the soft, flaky material in your pencil lead. And although humans have been using graphite since the Neolithic era, Isolating graphene was previously impossible, but with its unique conductive, transparent, and flexible properties, graphene has enormous potential to create more efficient solar panels and water filtration systems, even defenses against mosquitoes. Okay, that one has my full attention, because I hate mosquitoes. There's nothing worse than trying to sit there at night sleeping and hearing that little in and out of your ear. Going to come back to Alexander, Hamel, Alexander Hammond's um, 20 biggest advances in tech over the last 20 years. There is also a link in the show notes, which you'll find at the thebrianheidshow.com. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Our program is brought to you in part by LifesavingFood.com. You know the best time to buy food storage? I'll just clue you in on this. When it's available. <laughs> when there's not a panic. When the store shelves are not bare. Uh, when when it's on sale. You know, when, when you can get a good selection for a good price. That's the time to buy it. And the crazy thing is right now is that time. Now, you remember what it was like, you know, back when the lockdowns began in March of 2020. Do you remember that uneasy feeling of seeing the empty store shelves and thinking to yourself, crap, I wish I had been just a little bit faster or I'd stocked up a little bit earlier. Wouldn't have to worry about, you know, looking for these kind of things. Well, if you want to avoid that uneasy feeling, I would recommend 
Click on the link in the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com for lifesavingfood.com. I'm not telling you you have to buy something. I'm going to tell you, look around, though, and see, is there something you can use? Is it time to get serious about getting started on a food storage program? They have all kinds of different packages, different budgets can be accommodated. And best of all, it really does bring peace of mind in knowing you've got something set aside for a rainy day. And you get 10% off your purchase if you mention my name. That's H-Y-D-E, hide as your coupon code at checkout. Back to the article here from Alexander Hammond. This article was written in January of 2020, so this is before all the craziness started, but he's celebrating the 20 biggest advances in tech over the last 20 years. And I have to admit, you know, a lot of these, some of these I kind of growl at a little bit, but you'll see why here in just a minute, but for the most part, yeah, I would say these things have actually made life better in so many ways. Number nine on the list is Bluetooth. While Bluetooth technology was officially unveiled in 1999, It was only in the early 2000s that manufacturers started to adopt Bluetooth for use in computers and mobile phones. Now, today, Bluetooth is featured in a wide range of devices. It's become an integral part of many people's day-to-day lives. And I'm sad to admit, I'm still learning how to use it. My kids often tell me, yeah, just activate the Bluetooth. We'll get this thing going. Okay. They're my tech experts. (laughs) Number 10 is Facebook. See, this is is the growl. Okay. First developed in 2004, Facebook was not the first social media website. Due to its simplicity to use, however, Facebook quickly overtook existing social networking sites like Friendster and MySpace with 2.41 billion active users per month. That's almost a third of the world's population. Facebook has transformed the way billions of people share news and personal experiences with one another. Now, there is a darker side to this, and that is Facebook also has experimented and shown that they can successfully manipulate people's emotions by virtue of algorithms that that, uh, feed only certain stories that either agree or challenge a person's point of view. It's a little bit spooky to think you could be manipulated through social media, but looking at the clampdown on what's able to be shared, how many people are spending time in Facebook jail, I guess it's not that surprising. Number 11 in the biggest uh, tech advances over the last last 20 years, Curiosity, the Mars rover. First launched in November of 2011, Curiosity is looking for signs of habitability on Mars. Now, in 2014, the rover uncovered one of the biggest space discoveries of this millennium when it found water under the surface of the red planet. Curiosity's work could help humans become an interplanetary species in just a few decades' time. Number 12, electric cars. All right, everybody who's driving a Tesla, sit there for a minute and feel smug. All right, electric cars are not exactly a 21st century invention. It wasn't until the 2000s that these vehicles were built on a larger scale. Now, commercially available electric cars like the Tesla Roadster or the Nissan Leaf can be plugged into any electrical socket to charge. And they don't require fossil fuels to run. Well, maybe to generate the electricity, but not to run. Although considered a fad by some, electric cars are becoming ever more popular with more than 1.5 million units sold in 2018. I'm sure that number is even higher today. It brings us to number 13, which is driverless cars. In August 2012, Google announced its automated vehicles had completed over 300,000 miles of driving accident-free. How does your teenager compare? Now, although their self-driving cars are popular at the moment, 
Almost all car manufacturers have created or are planning to develop automated cars. Again, something to keep an eye on. And again, kind of a mixed blessing. Maybe that's a good thing, maybe not. Number 14, the Large Hadron Collider, LHC. First run in 2013, this is the world's largest, most powerful particle accelerator. It's also the world's largest single machine. It allows scientists to run experiments on some of the most complex theories in physics. And uh, the most important thing so far that it's found was the Higgs boson particle. Number 15 is the Abiocor Artificial Heart. In 2001, the artificial heart, which was created by the Massachusetts-based company Abiomed, became the first artificial heart to successfully replace a human heart in heart transplant procedures. Now, the crazy thing about this is the Abiocor artificial heart powers itself. Yes, like Iron Man. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. (laughs) Tony Stark may have actually designed it. No, unlike previous artificial hearts, it doesn't need intrusive wires that heighten the likelihood of infection and death. Number 16, this one's one of my favorites, 3D printing. Although 3D printers as we know them today began in the 1980s, the development of cheaper manufacturing methods and open-source software contributed to a 3D printing revolution over the past two decades. And today, 3D printers are being used to print spare parts, whole houses, medicines, bionic limbs, even entire human organs, and guns. Sorry, but that one makes me especially happy. Cats out of the bag. Sorry, government, but there will be no gun control as long as 3D printers exist. Number 17, Amazon Kindle. In November 2007, Amazon released the Kindle, and since then a plethora of e-readers has changed the way that millions of people read. Thanks to e-readers, people don't need to carry around heavy stacks of books. Independent authors can get their books to an audience of millions of people without having to go through a publisher. Number 18 is stem cell research. Now, previously, the stuff of science fiction, stem cells, in other words, the basic cells that can become almost any type of cell in the body, are being used to grow, among other things, kidney, lung, brain, and heart tissue. And this technology will likely save millions of lives in the coming decades, as it means patients no longer have to wait for donor organs or take harsh medicines to treat their ailments. Number 19, multi-use rockets. In December and in November and December, actually, of 2015, two separate private companies, Blue Origin and SpaceX, successfully landed reusable rockets. And this is commonplace, so much so over the last couple of years, it's almost not even a big deal when they test another one or actually do a successful launch. And I say this as someone who's using Starlink, Elon Musk's uh, SpaceX invention, as my uh, Internet source. Fantastic stuff. Plus, it also cheapens the cost of getting to space and brings commercial space travel just one step closer to reality. And finally, number 20 of the 20 biggest advances in tech over the past 20 years, gene editing. Now, again, this could be good or this could be bad, but in 2012, researchers from Harvard University, University of California at Berkeley, and the Broad Institute each independently discovered that a bacterial immune system known as CRISPR could be used as a gene-editing tool to change an organism's DNA. By cutting out pieces of harmful DNA, gene-editing technology will likely change the future of medicine and could eventually eradicate some major diseases. And hopefully not lead us into a dystopian existence like in the movie Gattaca, which if you haven't watched is probably worth your time. 
So think about the immense technological advances of the last 20 years. And Alexander Hammond says, remember that despite what you may read in the newspapers or see on TV, human beings are continuing to reach new heights of prosperity. Now, I know a lot has happened since he wrote this article, but let's not uh, throw out all the good just for the sake of a few bad things. By and large, we've got some pretty cool stuff going on here. Perhaps a moment to stop and appreciate it would be appropriate. All right, we'll take a quick break. We've got some more great stuff straight ahead. Be sure to check out the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. We'll be back after this. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And just like that, we are back. So I'm, I'm trying to look on the bright side. And this is probably more for my own sanity than anybody else's. I actually took some time yesterday to unplug. And, and I strongly recommend this to anybody who is feeling just overwhelmed with, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. Um, I, I agree with uh, my friend Eric Mutsos put it this way. He said, you know, normal is gone. We've got to get used to the idea that what was once normal and that comfort of knowing how everything is playing out, that's not a part of life and it's not going to be for the foreseeable future. You got to get comfortable being, you know, in a state of discomfort and, and, and knowing that normal is just not going to be there for a while. But man, once you unplug, and it doesn't even take that long. It used to take a couple of days to kind of get the world looking normal again. No, no. It takes a matter of hours, but more than anything, it just takes that uh, ability to step back for a minute, breathe, take a couple of deep breaths, and then look around you and, and, and try to see, okay, what's going right? You'll be surprised. There's a lot more going right than you probably have, have remembered. And I'm just praying that uh, I'm one of the, I'm not one of the sources of, uh, you know, that sense of overwhelmed, oh my gosh, everything is so much worse than I thought it was. Because my goal is not to to bring, you know, more fear or more um, sense of helplessness into your life. I saw a quote the other day that I think pretty accurately describes at least what, what I'm attempting to do with this this program each day. And it says, in life there are those who will tell you what to think, and then there are those who will teach you how to think. The first type of individual wants power and your dependency. The second type wants to empower you to live independently. That's exactly what I'm shooting for here. So let's look at a little bit more good news. You know, the flip side to the technological advances that make our lives better is the growing technocracy that's been trying to gain control over our lives for this past year and a half. There's a great article here from Thomas L. Knapp, that sounds a hopeful note that thanks to COVID-19, that technocracy has actually flowered and failed. He says history is littered with social and political movements, which, while failing to survive as movements, still largely achieved their goals. The Prohibition Party's national conventions could take place in a phone booth these days. But its disastrous single policy proposal was adopted as a constitutional amendment mutated into the equally disastrous war on drugs 
and continues to torment the modern marketplace with draconian regulation. Okay, that's a good point. Most socialist parties have either disappeared into the dustbin of history or find themselves reduced to glorified supper clubs featuring loud arguments over whether the Soviet Union was a bureaucratic deformation or a degenerated worker state. But Socialist Party candidate Norman Thompson's 885,000 votes in the 1932 presidential election arguably led to FDR's New Deal and the modern welfare state. He says few people remember or ever learned about the technocracy movement of the 1930s. Now, that movement failed in its formal goal of replacing democratic legislatures with boards of experts to run society, including the economy, according to science. Why does that sound so familiar? But over time, the concept took root in America's regulatory apparatus. Now Thomas L. Knapp reports nearly every aspect of our lives has, for several decades, been subject to scrutiny and oversight by experts. Now that includes the food we eat, the drugs we take, the cars we drive, the securities we invest in, you name it. There's a government bureau somewhere full of whirring computers and nerds with slide rules figuring out what we may or may not do and in what way we may do it. So while most of us gripe about particular technocratic edicts, few question the premise itself. And he says it's taken just as it's just as it's taken as obvious that the man in the lab coat knows more about airbags and crop yields than the honorable representative from Minnesota. So technocracy took root. And with the COVID-19 pandemic, it blossomed into the man eating plant from Little Shop of Horrors. Now, starting last year, public health technocrats, with, of course, the assistance of opportunistic politicians, seized control over huge parts of our lives. Mass house arrests without charge or trial, mask mandates, vaccine mandates and passport schemes, etc. And then they proceeded to vacillate and scrap among themselves over the divvying up of their new power as more than 600,000 Americans died and the economy tanked. Now to add insult to injury, the parts of the country where the experts enjoyed less deference seem to have fared no worse and in some cases better than areas where politicians slavishly and without question enforced every technocratic edict. So his point is technocracy finally got its big shot at proving itself and failed miserably. Why? Because public health technocracy isn't about the health of the public. It's about policy, which is about politics, which is about power. That is possibly the best explanation I have seen in months. Yeah, they really they don't care about your health. They care about your compliance. And Thomas L. Knapp is saying the technocrats exercise their power abusively and ineffectually to boot. So it's time to take that power away. So what does that look like? Taking that power away. I mean, we're learning at some cost that uh, the Constitution itself is not enough to keep our elected representatives from abusing the power with which we've temporarily entrusted them. Well, Judge Andrew Napolitano points out when the Constitution fails us, that doesn't mean we're out of options. Well, it failed. I guess we just have to bow our heads and submit. No, he says that's the time to nullify government interference with our personal autonomy. 
Here's how he puts it. He says, I've been writing for years asking if we still have the U.S. Constitution. Now, the issues come into sharper focus in the past 18 months as mayors and governors have created dictatorial powers and executed those powers to interfere with personal autonomy in America. And they've done this in utter disregard for freedoms protected by the Constitution they have sworn to uphold by asserting that public health trumps personal liberty. So here's the backstory. Judge Napolitano says government is essentially the negation of freedom. If the values underlying the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights, maximum personal liberty and minimal government are to be taken seriously, then we all know that government has gone so far astray as to make it unrecognizable to the revolutionaries who fought the British and the founders and framers who wrote and ratified the Constitution and its first ten amendments. He says those underlying values are generally articulated in the first eight amendments which restrain the government from interfering in personal liberty. The Ninth Amendment codifies that our rights are too numerous to list, and thus it requires the government to respect the natural unenumerated rights of all persons, in addition to those rights specifically enumerated. And then the Tenth Amendment reflects the ratifier's public understanding that the Constitution is a compact, voluntarily entered into by sovereign states, and that when they entered, they only surrendered to the federal government those powers enumerated in the Constitution, and thus they retained the powers not surrendered. Now, all of this was the theoretical basis and public understanding of the American experiment in the 1780s and 1790s, And, of course, not all agreed with this. Many classical liberals opposed the ratification of the Constitution for fear that a new central government would control economic activities with its own bank, fight needless wars, invalidate state sovereignty, and curtail civil liberties. As you've probably observed, their fears are now reality. Judge Napolitano reminds us the first serious federal attack on personal liberty came in the Alien and Sedition Acts in 1798, which criminalized criticisms of the federal government and the administration of President John Adams. The same generation, in some cases the same human beings that had written the First Amendment, Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech, did that just a mere seven years later. Now, in response to the Alien and Sedition Acts, The two most prominent thinkers in America, Thomas Jefferson, who had written the Declaration of Independence, and James Madison, who was the scrivener of the Constitution and the author of the Bill of Rights, secretly authored the Virginia and Kentucky Resolutions. These manifestations of the compact theory of the Constitution were enacted into law by Virginia and Kentucky legislatures. They declared the Alien and Sedition Acts unconstitutional in their states. This is probably the first example of nullification that you're going to find in American government history. Now, I've got to pump the brakes here because we are up against the break, but I will include a link to this article from Judge Napolitano in today's show notes, which you can examine for yourself at thebrianhydeshow.com. Dead serious here. There's a lot of information there. If you are serious about learning more about these topics, actually owning your worldview on them, don't just scratch the surface. Dig deep. There's a lot to learn here. This is The Brian Hyde Show. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just a quick shout-out here to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, located at 619 South Bluff Street in St. George, Utah. If you are looking for a home, not just in St. George, but actually throughout the state of Utah, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage is who I would recommend to help you get that financing squared away so that when the time comes, you find the home that you're looking for, you're not dilly-dallying around and trying to you know get your financing in order. It's there. You're done. You got to be able to be squared away right now. Heather has decades of experience to make that happen for you. Of course, Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. Heather's NMLS ID is 715386. There's a link to her email in my show notes at the com, or you can call 435-703-4522. So I'm sharing this article here from Judge Andrew Napolitano. When the Constitution fails us, and he reminds us that, you know, it, the, the attacks on the Constitution started before the ink was even dry. And the Alien and Sedition Acts, which were passed in 1798, criminalizing criticisms of the federal government, and in particular, the administration of President John Adams, that sparked some pretty strong response from a couple of different states, in particular, Virginia and Kentucky. And it was none other than Thomas Jefferson and James Madison who wrote the uh, Kentucky and Virginia or the Virginia and Kentucky resolutions in which they declared the Alien and Sedition Acts unconstitutional in their states. Now, these resolutions, says Judge Napolitano, reflected the views of many ratifiers of the Constitution that the states that formed the federal government retained the power to correct it. Stated differently, These state statutes declared the Alien and Sedition Acts, which were blatant violations of the freedom of speech, to be null and void in Virginia and Kentucky. The underlying value here is that because the Constitution is a voluntary compact, those states that formed it and joined it voluntarily have the sovereign power to leave it. Abraham Lincoln, sit back down. We'll get to you in a minute. Sorry. Nullification and secession as ideas were cast aside by the Supreme Court and the outcome of the war between the states. But the defeat of an idea, politically, legally, or even militarily, cannot always bury the idea permanently. In fact, when an idea's time has come, nothing can stop it. So what Judge Napolitano is pointing out here is Jefferson and Madison believed the Constitution protects the right to leave the government whenever it interferes with or fails to protect fundamental liberties. The very idea of secession terrifies governments, whether it be the states or the feds, because if successful, it diminishes government power and income. Right? It's a vote of no confidence. It's a withdrawal of consent. And then he asks the question, has the Constitution failed us? Now, there are two approaches to this question. There's a formal and functional approach. Formally, the Constitution is still the supreme law of the land and enjoys vitality. Formally, the government the Constitution established persists in America, but functionally, as an instrument of restraint, the Constitution is an abysmal failure. The feds regulate, tax, coerce, steal, and kill. They bully the states as they see fit. He says every day, 
some government official who's taken an oath to uphold the Constitution violates it with impunity. None of these violations, short of the war between the states, has been more public, affected more people, and produced more harm than the executive orders issued by mayors and governors in the name of public health. Even the states caved, as very few tried to protect the liberties that the Constitution guarantees. Now, his point is that it will soon get worse. As the Biden administration grows more fearful of its inability to control the latest strains of COVID-19, it will begin to use coercive means to compel mask-wearing and vaccine administration. These so-called health measures are essentially experiments that, when administered coercively by the government, violate the letter, values, and lessons of Nuremberg. And so Judge Napolitano asks, if, if vaccines work, why do we need masks? If masks work, why do we need vaccines? If I'm a free person, why do I need the government telling me how to be healthy? If only the legislative branch of government can write laws, why do we allow mayors and governors and centers for disease control and prevention to do so? If the Constitution is the supreme law of the land, how can government attack the rights the Constitution protects? If freedom is our birthright, what has become of it? So here's the remedy that he offers. And for some people, this may be, you know, a little cause for concern. I agree with him, though. He says the time has come to nullify government interferences with personal autonomy by disregarding them and to threaten seriously to leave and ignore the governments that hate our freedoms. He says, if we don't do this, make way for voluntary servitude. I want to unpack that just a little bit. Because this brings us to the concept of consent. And that means that there are a lot of people out there who are making rules. And this is true at a number of different levels of our lives, okay? There, there are federal rules, there are state, there are local rules, But at some point, you have the ultimate say-so. You are the one who decides whether you consent to obey that rule or not. Now, I'm going to make an assumption here. Excuse me. I'll assume that I'm speaking to a decent human being. You don't mind if I regard you. I'm assuming that you're, you're decency. That's probably the, you know, the next step after assuming your gender. But hey. I assume you're a decent human being. In other words, you understand that you don't have the right to go out there and interfere with other people's rights. You don't have the right to damage them, to aggress against them, to damage their property or take things that are not yours. So when I talk about nullification, withdrawing consent, refusing to play along, that's going to sound really subversive to some people. Oh, you just think you're a law unto yourself. You're just into anarchy and you are just going to do anything you want to do. But I want to point out that the the term anarchy, I think, is sometimes used as a bludgeon to scare people. Well, you know, anarchy is a pretty bad thing. You know, that's 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 just basically every man for himself. That's the law of the jungle. Not so. And if you break down the roots of the word anarchy... And without, I believe, Arca, Arcas is, is referring to ruler. It just simply means you are a person who does not need to be 
ruled. That doesn't mean that rules don't exist. That doesn't mean that spontaneous order cannot exist. It just means you don't need that top-down direction. But the problem is most of us have grown up believing, and I believe this this, uh, conditioning process starts about age five. You can draw your own conclusions from what I'm implying here. We're taught to believe that we're broken. We're not good enough. I mean, it, it starts with, you know, if you have anything to say, you raise your hand. If you, uh, you know, need to, to use the bathroom, raise your hand and indicate by the finger whether it's a one or a two. I mean, this is what we train kids to do. Got to wait for permission. Somebody who is in authority will tell you when it's okay to stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight. And it sticks with us as adults. Look at the late night TV ads. If you're ever up late, you have, I know a lot of people struggle with insomnia. How many of those ads start from the premise that, hey, you're broken. You're not good enough. Well, I want to counter that message. And I know it sounds subversive to counter it with, uh, so you're telling me that uh, I should secede personally then? But that's exactly what I'm telling you. If government at whatever level is acting against your best interests, you can withdraw your permission. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to get away with doing anything that you want, you know, so go ahead and build that amusement park on your back 40. Hey, you know, they'll find ways to shut you down. People in power are pretty jealous about guarding that. But the important thing is the mindset that there are limits to their power. There are limits to what you will go along with. And once you have committed to the to the idea that you have autonomy, you have the ability to say no when something is not in your best interest, all you have to do is step back and withdraw your support and watch them collapse. As uh, Etienne Delaboite said, like the Colossus of old, you don't have to go out there and fight in the streets. Sorry, but that's for losers. Just know when and where to withdraw your support and have the courage to stick with it. And know you're not alone. This is The Brian Hyde Show.